0: Broadcasting live from the Zimmer Communications World Headquarters, this is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Get ready, pal!
1: Welcome back to Wake Up Mid-Missouri. I'm Mike Murphy with Stephanie Bell. Good morning. Brian Howsworth will be joining us shortly. John Marsh. Yes, sir. Hannah, the producer. Hola. And joining us is Spoon County Presiding Commissioner Kip Kendrick. The uh, state of Missouri passed a law this summer that allows counties to freeze property tax increases when homeowners become eligible for Social Security. Boone County took some action on that last week. Presiding Commissioner Kendrick is here to talk to us about what they did and why they did it. Welcome in, Gip.
2: Good morning. Uh, thanks for the opportunity come on. So, tell us what you did and why you did it. Yeah. Uh, so last week, uh, the Boone County Commission passed a resolution uh, stating uh, our intent uh, to make cleanup language for Senate Bill 190 a top legislative priority for Boone County. Um, this was uh, in response uh, to what Missouri Association of Counties did also over that weekend uh, at the Missouri Association of Counties annual conference. Um uh, counties from across the state had been working on proposed legislation to kind of clean up and provide clarity on Senate Bill 190 in order to be able to have that clarity necessary to to, to implement. And uh, that was adopted as uh, a top legislative priority for uh, the association. And uh, the good thing is that uh, we feel confident there were lawmakers in the room when that was being discussed. And uh, I certainly don't want to speak for them, uh, but they are aware of the proposed legislation and uh, I think we're I think the association is well on their way of having uh, uh, lawmakers identified to be able to sponsor the legislation and, and hopefully push it forward in 2024.
1: Quick question, Kit, before I forget. So uh, I know Cole County, and we got a lot of listeners, Cole County's listening in too. We, uh, Cole County commissioners decided not to take action on this. Do you know their level of participation in this with the uh, uh, Association of Counties?
2: You know uh, they, they were certainly in the room. I've uh, okay. certainly had conversations with their commission. Um, I don't know I, I can't recall if they had a member on the task force or not okay um, but so yeah, but they they've certainly been engaged okay, so you're
1: basically telling us that if I'm reading you right here is you're not necessarily opposing the idea of getting some uh, a tax some freeze on these increases. But you really don't like the language. You got a lot of problems with the language as this bill is written. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So um, we certainly don't question the intent of the legislation. Um, We we know how it came about, right? Or generally, kind of the timeline. It was uh, it was this this portion of Senate Bill One Ninety, which was the property tax freeze, was discussed on the Senate floor, offered as amendment uh, the. Second Friday uh, from the last, right before the end of session. And so it hadn't gone through a typical vetting process of going through committees and crossing chambers at that point. It, it was added on the Senate floor. Little discussion. The intent was certainly laid out, uh, but you know, counties across the state had some concerns about how the language was written. And, and one of the concerns, I mean, it was just right off the bat of who's eligible for the program. Um, you know, under a uh, strict reading of the law, uh, those individuals are eligible for social security benefits, and so uh, we know that that excludes a good amount of retirees. Uh, retired teachers don't participate in social security; they never pay into it. They pay into a different defined benefit program. Uh, so, strict reading of the law, uh, which you know that's what we are here in the state. We don't we a legislative we don't have legislative history on this issue. Uh, would would then exclude certain groups. Um, But it could also, if you take a broader interpretation of uh, who's eligible for Social Security, uh, you would likely have a younger individual challenging, well, I hit my quarters, I am eligible for Social Security, I just cannot draw down at this time. And so we want clarification on who is eligible. Uh, I think it would also something that the State Tax Commission, um, a a group under the Department of Revenue, pointed out is... uh, is the potential retroactivity of the law and, and the way they're interpreting it would be that um, while it is a prospective law uh the issue that um that you would if you have an individual in their 90s 80s or 90s you would have to look back to the point where that individual purchased the home and roll back the assessed value to that point and so certainly one clarification there um there's we want clarification, counties we want clarifications on the ability also to determine an application process and, and require documentation for administrative purposes to make sure that we can, we can double check, make sure that this is a proper homestead and, and primary residence and people aren't, uh, you know, using multiple homesteads across the state.
0: Commissioner Kendrick, we appreciate you joining us live uh, on the show, and so many things obviously going on with this. I know that Re- uh, Representative Cherie Tolson Reich is is doing her petition drive right now, and and we've covered that. And I, I know, um, yeah, I know how you kind of feel about that, but I, I do want to ask you about the just the general view of 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 her and, and her supporters who basically say that property taxes and personal property
1: taxes are too high and one of the biggest things she has said essentially is that for a lot of seniors it's, it's hard to pay it that they're basically they're they basically have a hard time coming up with that money every year
0: uh, how do you respond to that
2: yeah, I, I again, I, I we don't question the intent of the legislation. Um, you know, for for many fixed income seniors and uh, you know, low moderate income seniors, uh, the increased property values in the recent years uh, that we've seen uh have led to increased uh, assessed value and increased levy as a result and we, we know that it's benching um, seniors and we've certainly seen this issue kind of more pronounced in other areas of state Jackson County uh, in particular in recent years. I know that's been a big discussion inside the Capitol. Um, this is a this is a big piece of legislation that could have a very significant impact, uh dollar amount also on taxing jurisdictions across the, the county and you know, that's that's the conversation that's been certainly had with Missouri Association of Counties is uh, only five. I, I believe that's still accurate. Only five counties at this time have taken action on it. Um, the vast majority of 114 counties haven't taken action because they want to see some clarification. and And counties want to make sure also that, you know, what what is implemented doesn't have. Um, you know, uh, long lasting impact or unintended consequences that really uh, hindered taxing jurisdictions, school districts, fire districts, water districts across their counties.
0: Talk to us about how this this debate all goes kip with I think there's a lot of confusion on behalf of taxpayers out there. They hear about maybe freezing property taxes for seniors, then they hear the ongoing debate we hear at the Capitol almost every year about eliminating personal property taxes. Is there a I don't know, there a comparison there?
2: So, I, I mean, that will certainly be a conversation again this next year in the Capitol. I know that I believe that's a a, a priority of the Speaker of the House. It's also a priority of um, of at least one senator to, to roll back or even potentially eliminate personal property tax. Um, you know, that's... It, it, arguments could be made. You know, I've had these conversations certainly inside the Capitol before, as a lawmaker, and then as a as a chief of staff. Um, certainly, with other staffers, on if, if you roll back or or eliminate, uh, you, there's strong arguments made it's a regressive tax, right? Especially personal property tax. Uh, but there there has to be some type of mechanism to make up that difference for for school districts in particular. Uh, school districts in the state are, are heavily reliant on, on property taxes anymore, um, you know, to the tune of 70% of, um, I believe it's closer to 70% of, of revenue uh, for Columbia Public Schools comes from the local tax base. And I know that's similar uh, to, to school districts across the state. So if that's gonna be eliminated, uh, then, you know, you, we really have to come up with a mechanism uh, to be able to make up that difference in, in other ways.
3: Now we've been hearing from from some excuse me, we have been hearing from some of our friends in the State House that the budget will be tightening, and the state won't always be flush with the cash that it has sure. been, given your connections in the State House, you have had some pretty good success in securing some additional funds uh for mid Missouri. Uh, do you have a list heading into the session knowing that those extra funds might not be available for you know the the future?
2: Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think that I I know that they're working on the consensus revenue estimate right now. And I expect that is out, you know, typically by the end of this week or uh, by mid to late next week. Uh, and that'll always be a telling, um, you know, document. Well, hopefully once it's released, it will give everybody kind of an indication of what anticipated revenue growth is looking like and and how much money uh, lawmakers will have to be able to to budget and what the governor's proposed budget will be based on. Uh, You know, I would expect that there's a decent amount of one-time fund, one-time funding opportunities available this next year. And then I think it probably starts to taper off. I believe that you'll probably see a, from both the House and the Senate, Um, and a push to limit, uh, ongoing, uh, you know, cost to continues or ongoing, uh, budget items, trying to limit the amount of new decision items there and try to make sure that that's controlled. Uh, and probably any new spending is other than mandatory cost to continue. Any new spending you'll probably see in in more one-time capital projects or one-time funds that, uh, they kind of do what they can to to rein in potential FY26 FY27 budget years.
1: Okay, Kip, so this tax this freeze on property tax increases. Let's make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. This is a a cap on increases. It's not going to take not going to cut back anybody's taxes. It's just going to keep it from increasing as years go by. It can be approved by it can be implemented by uh, ordinance from the county commission or a petition drive and then go to the ballot and the people voted in you guys want to look at this uh the county commission wants to look at the language a little bit get it cleaned up and run it back through the legislature uh we have state rep sheree tolson rice uh pushing the initiative position trying to get on the ballot where do you think this thing's going uh uh, tell our listeners what you think is going to happen here
2: well i mean that's a, a it's a great question um you know, we believe that the legislation has uh, the cleanup legislation has a as a chance of being run through as a consent bill, uh, which kind of can fast track it in a lot of ways. It can cut down on the amount of amendments that are offered and, and really hopefully kind of push it, be able to push it through relatively quickly in the new year Um in the twenty twenty four session. Uh we know that the petition deadline for the August ballot will be May, I believe sometime in mid May. Don't have that date off the top of my head. Uh but we're we're gonna watch it closely, remain in contact with the representative about how progress is being made. She certainly kept us up to date on it. I believe they collected close to the half the signature required now or a little bit less than half. Uh, around 2,000 collected and 4,600 needed to be able to place it on the ballot. And so we'll monitor that. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, if the signatures are collected, be able to place it on the ballot. And so we'll just have to monitor and, and kind of see also where the progress is inside the Capitol on the conversation.
1: All right. Boone County Presiding Commissioner Kip Kendrick, thanks a lot for coming on and, and uh, helping us understand that.
2: I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: All right. All right. Coming up next, we have What's Hot with Hannah.
4: Got a high speed pursuit that I want to share this morning.
0: This is Wake Up Mid Missouri. The news can be heavy. It is soaking a boulder. This is Wake Up Mid Missouri.
1: Welcome back to Wake Up Mid-Missouri. It is 7.25-ish, and that means it's What's Hot with Hannah. Hey! Oh,
4: you got 7.25 by about three seconds, so gold star, Mike Murphy. Gold star. I appreciate that someone around here (laughs) can hit this segment on time. Not Stephanie. (laughs) Hey, Uh, come on. uh, Sorry. Had to clear my throat there. You know, we talk about a lot of high-speed pursuits that happen across the nation a lot of people have opinions about high-speed pursuits and if they should even be a thing because they sometimes cause more damage to innocent passerbys than some would think necessary but what about a quote high-speed pursuit that topped out at about 20 miles an hour when a 12-year-old from Michigan stole a forklift from a construction site and then proceeded to lead the police on an hour-long pursuit that topped out at 20 miles an hour, (laughs) which...
3: This is like our guy on the lawnmower.
4: Yeah, pretty much. 20 miles an hour doesn't seem very fast until you think about the fact that it's a forklift. (laughs) And I'm sitting here wondering... Why a forklift needs to go twenty miles an hour, <laughs> and also how this twelve-year-old could drive it for an hour before it like ran out of juice or anything.
0: Or he tipped a fresh, it, fresh tipped tank LP on it there. I guess, uh, Yeah, tipped it over.
4: I guess so. Uh, you know, the typical tactics that police would use to slow down a speeding car that they were chasing didn't really work because they couldn't get very close to him because of the forks on the front. (laughs) Uh, But this 12 year old was a middle school student and there was a construction site at the middle school that he attended in Michigan. And I guess the keys were hidden in the cab of the forklift, which seems like a terrible idea when you know that you're surrounded by middle school students. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he saw his opportunity and he took it, uh, he didn't have any headlights working on his forklift, and it was a nighttime pursuit but wow. by the time they caught up to him. Um, it was almost 8 p.m. when they finally caught him. Uh,
0: then he oh. had a curfew, so he had to be home. <laughs> huh?
4: The police at one point that were chasing him had to stop because he had crossed the county line and couldn't do anything about it at that point. And luckily, he stopped shortly after. He was apprehended. He's being held in juvenile custody, and the police are still investigating the situation. I don't know what there is to investigate, other than the fact that somebody left keys to a forklift (laughs) laying around, and a 12-year-old boy
3: got a great idea to go on. And
0: spike strips don't work worth a darn on forklifts with solid rubber tires, either.
3: Yeah. I feel like we're giving criminals an idea here.
0: Well,
1: yeah, any 12-year-olds listening right now, don't do
0: it. Well, there's a new
1: 6th grade legend at that middle school. (laughs) (laughs) Something
4: like that. Something tells me he probably won't be back at that school anytime soon. But you never know, I guess. But 20 miles an hour for a forklift. I'm still having a hard time during this. In the dark, no headlights.
1: Sounds like a legend to me. (laughs) We're coming back with... uh, We're going to talk about this Mayor Barbara Buffalo trip to Dubai. That needs to be kicked around a little more, don't you think, Stephanie?
3: Oh, yeah. We're getting some text on it for sure. All right.
0: (laughs) Telling you what you want to hear since 2015. This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri.
1: Welcome back to Wake Up in Missouri. Mike Murphy here with Stephanie Bell. Good morning. Brian Hausworth around here. John Marsh. Yes, sir. And Hannah, the producer. What up? We're going to talk a little bit about our mayor's trip to Dubai. You're welcome to join the conversation. The caller text number is 573-874-9390. So, she's leaving today. Eight-day trip to Dubai. Uh... She just got back from a 10-day trip to China that was sponsored by the U.S. Heartland China Association, which members of the U.S. intelligence community believe is linked to Communist China Party foreign influence operators. And the mayors are being targeted for promotion of the People's Republic of China's global agenda. I documented the heck out of that. That is a true story, and I have... More on that coming. I know it's a bit of a giggle, but it raises the specter that our mayor is being groomed by Chinese communists.
3: Brandon and I ran into her in the airport when she was on her, when she was leaving. So, uh. (laughs) That
4: was the week after the whole t-shirt fiasco. Yeah.
1: Where she. Maybe that's why she keeps heading out of town, but. Uh, you know, probably if you remember earlier this summer, she was in New York at this uh, Bloomberg Harvard City Leadership Initiative. And I should point out before I forget, because this, this is constantly being misconstrued on social media, where she is getting pillared. By the way, uh, I just think there's this feeling that you know, the City of Columbia, upper levels of government is a, is pretty much a complete dumpster fire. If anybody wants to argue that, I think they just they're just uninformed. And you know, she's off traveling the world. Um, uh, uh, collaborating on the climate emergency. But she's not doing this on, on the city's dime. Somebody's, somebody else is paying for all this. Bloomberg paid for the trip to New York. Is that better or worse? Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she, she is representing the city. And the question that gets asked is, you know, what good does this do the city? We can see what good it might do, you know, Barbara Buffalo's resume. But I don't know what good it does the city. And then the U.S., this delegation, she's in the delegation of six mayors going to this U.N., uh climate conference in Dubai and uh the conference of mayors pay for that. So
4: Well, and you know, this is a prime example and John can vouch for this of why every time we have Mayor Fitzwater from Jeff City on the show, we inevitably get texts and comments from wake up family members saying, "Can we please trade with Jefferson City?" <laughs>
3: Well, yeah. and, and I'm trying to remember historically because even before Mayor Fitzwater, I, I haven't heard of him going on any trips. Maybe he, maybe he's in Dubai now. I, I doubt it, but um, <laughs> I did. I saw him recently, uh, and even um, you know, I know Mayor Turgeon liked to travel uh, personally, um, based on her social media. But yeah. uh, but I never saw her taking like mayoral trips. Now the, I will. The
0: ones I think the folks in Jefferson City might be familiar with is some of the council types and city leaders, including Mayor turgeon took a couple of trips to the sister city in germany yes yep i remember that too
3: that makes sense well and i i will i'm not going to necessarily defend Barbara Buffalo. I will say getting out of your bubble of wherever you are in mid-mo and talking to others who are similarly situated as you is something I really enjoy doing in my profession and I think I'm better for it. So y'all know that I say that I have an aggressive travel schedule and sometimes I am just you know uh, drinking an Aperol spritz in Italy but most (laughs) of the time I am meeting with colleagues who are in a very specific industry and we're talking about you know what is your jurisdiction experiencing you know what are what's happening in your state about for example illegal machines and gas stations how is your state handling that problem you know I go and I talk to my Republican colleagues how are you all handling litigation over voter ID or early voting what you know tell me what your problems are and how you are combating that and I think that those conversations have really benefited me in my career especially when you're kind of in a in an area like city government where you can't just like walk around Columbia necessarily get that kind of feedback so I don't yeah, think, I think we.
0: That's- that's a good point from the standpoint, too, for a lot of folks out there. They say, well, the, the the city council and the mayor took a big junket, but sometimes they're going to look at, let's say, like a, a river port somewhere where they talked about one for mid-Missouri and to do some uh, field research and come back with that as opposed to going to Dubai and global. Climate. And
3: and I call on my colleagues that I meet at these conferences all the time, John. So I'll have a client call me. They work with me in Missouri and they're like, I need help in Colorado. I need help in Kansas. I'm like, I know someone someone there who can help you or I know someone you're telling me about a problem and I know someone who has dealt with that problem before or, or I call them and I say, I'm having this problem, you know, and now I can just pick up the phone and say, you know, what do you know? How do I how do I, you know, address these, especially in weird area issues like political issues, utilities, that kind of thing. But I will say, you know, so in that way, I think. But then again, I pay for these trips myself,
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and you know they I forgot to mention, it, it, but they did just get back from Madison, Wisconsin, on a trip up there to to s- study many of those things or to participate with the officials up there
0: communists about. there than in red china
3: <laughs> and i will say i have been on one um trip i do think i i think i paid for this myself but the city will sponsor um i know in ashland will sponsor local elected officials to the missouri municipal league conference and i actually think barbara buffalo should go to that yeah i, I, I think I totally her agree. interacting with rural mayors she might have a lot to learn
1: well and let's keep in mind that it's also a big difference between between her and ron fitzwater in their official roles ron fitzwater is a mayor with administrative responsibility. The uh, city administrator answers to him. He prepares the budget. He actually, the charter in Jeff City, like in many, many towns, uh, the mayor has some administrative responsibility. Not so in uh, Columbia. Mayor Buffalo has no more uh, uh, authority or responsibility than any other member of the city council. All that lies with the the city manager, which also makes this, either you could say that, you could argue that makes this even uh, more... Okay, that she's off doing this because she's really not needed here at all. She really doesn't even belong in much of the stuff that goes on here, even though that's not the way it operates.
4: I just, I guess for me, I don't understand why she's worried about like global climate change when we have bigger issues going on here at home.
1: Yeah, well, that's what is, that's the case I'm going to make. People are, the reason she's just taking so much heat, as are some of the other mayors, by the way, is, you know, she writes a press release and, you know, she's writing her own PR, and I'm afraid perhaps even believing some of her own PR, but it's like this summit I'm quoting from the press release. it recognizes the critical role local leaders play in reducing emissions, addressing climate impacts and supercharging efforts from the ground up to move further and faster on climate progress. She will join high profile speakers from around the world as they make announcements of ambitious commitments to building climate capable governments. Well, there's people sitting back here in Columbia, and, and I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but we have a real crisis at our at our police department. Okay, we're we're, we're running at sixty five percent staff. We're not patrolling traffic. Uh, we have a new police chief coming in. We have racial tensions. We're not getting our police officers trained the way they should be. We're one you know major incident away where we could have the city burning, and I think. I think all of our city council people have their heads in the sand about that. And then, you know, while she's... obviously just go through administrative thing. The buses aren't running because we can't hire anybody. The the water isn't running. You can live in a million-dollar house in Thornbrook and not be able to take a shower, much less worry about fire protection. Uh, uh, Homelessness. Residential recycling isn't getting picked up. Yes, we have no... We have never articulated any kind of a comprehensive... Policy on what we're doing with homelessness, which is growing, everybody knows it is. Uh, there's people sleeping all over the place. We have ten cities all over the place. Related, uh, I should say, unrelated, but spoken in the same breath, is we have we have panhandlers on on every corner, uh, and those are the things you see. What you don't see is capital projects not being completed. This is a travesty. Uh, we have projects that were funded by voters in 2015 that aren't completed. We have uh, capital improvement projects from 18 critical infrastructure projects not funded. Millions of dollars that have been lost by inflation because we can't get the job done. The water plant, $25 million we're supposed to fix the water plant. Now we're going to get half of it done because we've lost it all to inflation since 2018. Uh, You know, 280 openings at City Hall. We can't hire anybody. Uh, We got the money. You can't get anybody to work for us. Um, uh, Four hundred short-term rentals, Airbnbs, are operating illegally because after five years of work, we can't come up with ordinance that we can agree on that won't make somebody angry. So it just goes, you know, on and on and on with serious, you know, critical type issues that need creative uh, solutions. They they need work here you know the, the city manager doesn't it, it, it doesn't appear like you know city staff is going to get these things solved so there's this sense of frustration and malaise and then you know it would be one thing if the, if the mayor was ducking out once in a while on a trip but this just seems just I, I, I think if you're a Columbia citizen and, and you're outraged by this I actually think you have a right to be wow I know
4: No, I think I I, I, take from Mike Murphy this morning. I like it.
1: Well, I've been saying the same speech over and over, you know, I just, (laughs) you just haven't heard it, but this is, I've been covering this for a year. These are things that I've been covering. That's why these are all things in Como Buzz that I've been writing about. And I think many people are unaware of them blissfully. So, but this city, uh, has some really difficult issues, that aren't being addressed.
3: Well, and I think in in one way, as as a conservative, I'm thinking, great. The less the Columbia City Council does, yeah. the better. Yeah. Uh, like on Airbnb regulations, stay out of my business you know, we don't need more government regulation. So I think good if they're kind of in a holding pattern right now. But what you, what I'm hearing from you, Mike, too, is that there are some spending things, some infrastructure things that if they don't take action on, we are going to be paying for later. And I think coming from Ashland, we have had some of those situations where deve- things have gotten out in front of us and now we're having to pay the price because we didn't do some basic yeah. things uh, I- initially yeah. and, and we're paying and it's and it's and It's a tough spot to be in.
1: Yeah, I didn't even mention. We've just taken double-digit increases in municipal water rates and municipal electric rates. And another thing about Columbia is the gap, this is getting a little off-target here, but the gap between rich and poor, it isn't shrinking, it's growing. And now we have government deciding, they're in there working on how we can lower rates for low-income people for their municipal utilities. It's just shaping up to be one, uh, uh, you know... Dumpster fire. That's the word that keeps coming up. (laughs) A bleep show. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's my rant for today. And uh, I I hope people, I'd like to get people a little bit more engaged. So, coming up, and that would be all, except for this, with John Marsh. Coming right up.
0: This is Wake Up Mid-Missouri. Watch the gang on our Facebook or YouTube channel Find us at Wake Up Mid-Missouri
2: And that would be all
0: Except for this well you might say she really racked up the lunch money judith oaks is the accountant for the Rialto, california school district their nutrition services department was caught on tape stuffing large amounts of lunch money into her bra she's accused of embezzling about three million bucks from the district's lunch money fund it's unclear how much of that actually went into her bra she worked as their accountant for sixteen years they said they called the cops when they noticed the bra-stuffing video footage. Didn't elaborate on where that was taken. Police say they searched Oak's home, turned up thousands of bucks in cash, and believe she'd been embezzling for the past seven years. And they said she lived a lavish lifestyle. She and her late husband had expensive vehicles, dune buggies, b- motorcycles, jet skis. And she purchased a second home. Detectives said since she was busted the prosecutors being kept all together now abreast of the investigation and oh, man. that is Come on. the rest of that story <laughs> more stories that was good yeah 3 million
1: in cash like in greenbacks
4: it's got to be a big bra. that's that, all oh, i yeah. got
1: yeah. I just, you know
0: <laughs> yeah. i'm glad you went there <laughs> but it's like man oh man that's that, that, you know, and usually you think in the lunchroom, it's going to be small bills, you know? Yeah, that's a lot of bills.
4: You know, my my, my grandma would kill me if she knew I was telling this story right now. Uh, but she likes to keep her cell phone in there. And when it starts ringing, she doesn't always know right away. And then she has to fish it out. <laughs> And she's like in elbow, public? yeah. She's like elbow deep in there, trying to get it out. It's <laughs>
3: embarrassing. you poor. For the public. big smile on her face. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh-oh. The worst is when you go someplace that has euros, and they give you all your change back in coins. It's not as uh, easy. Yeah. to Hide it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even that happens uh, in the U.S. Every once in a while, somebody won't have bills, and they'll give you back in coins and try to get rid of them.
4: The worst though was when I used to work in a bank in high school. And in the summertime, like, they'd give you wet money, and you always had to wonder where they pulled that money from
3: (laughs) on their way inside. Oh, yeah, that's a dirty job. I never thought about banking being kind of a dirty job, but did you wash your hands all the time touching other people's cash?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, We had a customer that owned a business with coin-operated machines, and he'd bring in several hundred dollars once a week in quarters. And by the time you finish counting the quarters, like our hands
3: would be black. Oh, that's so gross. (laughs) I I I never thought about lawyering being a very dirty job, but there are some times um, we turned in a lot of initiative petitions and kind of like cash, Hannah, you know, those things go out on clipboards and you don't know how many people touch those different pieces of paper, but I specifically remember one that showed up and it was almost translucent it looked like it had been dipped in like a vat of fried chicken grease. Oh. You know where the paper? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times I wash my hands during that process of uh reviewing thousands of pages. I
0: can't. I wonder if the lunch lady embezzled any of the change from the school dish <laughs> and and how she got you don't it out. don't want to know where she, she got it out of there. <laughs> He jingled
1: right past the security. You know, I can't believe that. This always, I can't help but think of this. So somehow, just think who's doing the accounting for that school district. Right? You run a small business. You, run, you deal in cash. I have two. I mean, every, I
0: think it was her.
1: Yeah, yeah it,
3: right. How, it would
1: how have to be. in this, I, I get sophisticated embezzlement, right? I mean, it, it, it happens all the time. Like
3: on expense reporting or something. Mm-hmm.
1: Or somebody who's in a position of, you know, real authority in a bank or something. But but even there, it just doesn't happen anymore because the checks and balances are in place. Can you imagine waking up one day and all of a sudden discovered you've lost a ton of cash that you just didn't know was-, uh, was
3: We hear about it right here in mid-Missouri. I mean, there was some, I think it was at a bank and like somebody embezzled, you know, over, I think over $100,000, John. And it's like, how do yeah, how do you oh, get away- that? it's
0: a, not that unusual. How yeah, do you get away you know,
3: with that? I, my poor husband, like we but we still budget things down to the dime, and I remember for many years. I would get so mad. I'm like, you took $20 out of the ATM. I said, I'm in my budget software. Did, was that a hair? And he's like, well, I sent $11 on a haircut. I think I got a Coke. I'm like, where'd that other $7 go? <laughs> you know, Because I, I was like, I can't put it, I can't categorize it. And I'm not making a miscellaneous category. But I, I think, you know, you get busy and the numbers get really big. Yeah. And, you know, a couple hundred bucks here and a couple hundred bucks there. And then
1: over a period of time, I suppose,
3: people get in a routine and they're not they're not checking but i think it's a good reminder to everyone in business like you've got it. To- have your eyes on that and have people you trust if
1: you're in a cash business or you're dealing with a lot of cash you better or else you're going to get hurt or you're not going to be in business for long
3: or you're going to have an entanglement with the department of revenue
1: Uh, yeah for sure
3: which is worse (laughs) (laughs) you're right you're right (laughs) all right no hate to my friends over at the department of revenue but also a little bit
1: (laughs) more with wake up mid-missouri coming up shortly